hear a lot of coughing out there today. Brandon, or Grayson had a cold all week, so he's been, oh man, trying to stay up. Not sleeping well, so I understand. I feel for you, sort of. This entire sermon is about waiting. Now let's show of hands. Who loves to wait? There's, wow, a couple of hands actually went up. Man, I, I can't stand waiting. In fact, Mr. B will, uh, ever so often we'll go to a doctor's appointment with him. And, uh, and I'll, I will go to any doctor except for this one. I refuse to go to this particular doctor because you will sit in the, and in, in, I see a couple of people are shaking their head because they know who I'm talking about. I shouldn't be talking about them. Uh, gossip, huh? Well, it goes with the story, okay? I didn't say the doctor's name. But, I mean, you will sit in the waiting room for, like, several hours. Your appointment's at 10. He might see you by 2. And then they take you back to the room, and you're like, yes, I'm in the room. And then you wait another hour and a half. I'm like, get a new doctor. You know, I'm just like, I hate to wait. Because we all love to wait. I mean, it's really fun. You're in the line of Starbucks, and, uh, you know, you're having a great day, but the line is long, and it turns into the worst day ever, right? For those that drink Starbucks. But as much as we trivialize kind of the whole idea of waiting and stuff, some of us are waiting for something that's so much more significant than coffee. I mean, lab results, to hear from our kids, to see a light at the end of the tunnel, uh, see a way out, waiting for that job promotion your company keeps talking about and keeps talking about. To see how Trump does as president, some people are happy, some people are going, not so sure, for more rain to fall. I mean, we just, you know, we're waiting. When I was a teenager, Domino's Pizza, well, Pizza Hut was actually the number one um, pizza maker in the world, and Domino's was, was number two, and they were trying to catch up, and, and Domino's didn't improve on their pizza, but they came up with this gimmick. Do you know what it was? 30 minutes or less, right? Or it's free. Speed, that was the gimmick. There was a hospital in Detroit that uh, copied Domino's Pizza. If we don't see you within 30 minutes or less in the emergency room, you'll get a free appointment. People were driving for hundreds of miles to get into that hospital. <laughs> that quickly shut down. You know what I'm saying? We have all these gadgets that are supposed to, you know, help us get things done quicker or get us out of here quicker or, or whatever. And you would think it would make things better, right? But we're all born with this kind of impatience within us, which is very powerful. And it's actually probably a good thing in many ways. I mean, uh, Grayson, uh, he can't talk, he can't speak, you know, he's uh, almost one and a half. And, uh, but you definitely know when he's hungry, Right. Oh, man, you do. And at 5.30 in the morning, it's not fun to wake up and hear that scream, you know. But that's how babies survive. What's interesting is that our frustration can slow us down sometimes, can slow the process down. The other day, I was sitting at a light in Hillman and Prosperity. You know, what I'm, you know which light I'm talking about? It's the longest light in Tulare. Now, when I go to the Bay Area, it makes me realize, wow, Tulare has no traffic whatsoever. You can have a traffic jam and sit there for 10 minutes, and that's nothing compared to the Bay Area. You know what I'm saying? 
But that light, I was just sitting there and frustrating because I had to wait on the light. And I'm about six cars back, and, and the light turns green, so everybody's supposed to go, right? Well, there's this lady on the cell phone in front of me, just talking away. And she doesn't go. So I wait a nanosecond and tap the horn. Now, it was a Christian tap. It wasn't like I laid down on the horn, you know. But by the look in her, you know, the look on her face through the rearview mirror, you would think that I shot at her, like I took out my shotgun and, you know, or something. And you could see her mouth the words, hold on a second. She put the phone down and just stares at me in the mirror and just stares at me and stares at me. She pulls up to the, to the line and she waits for the light to turn yellow and then she waits and waits and then she goes all the time staring at me while she's driving. Oh, man. Now I'm stuck at the intersection until the light turns green. It's like 12 minutes long or something. I don't know. It's just my Christmas joy is gone now because waiting feels like such a waste. Whether it's two minutes, whether it's two years, and then I read the Bible. From Genesis to Revelations, from Moses to John, I see throughout the Bible guys waiting, and it was a good thing. But for us, it's an you know, inconvenience, however long or short. It's a closed door, which can be very frustrating. Or we see an open door and we start running for it. But being stuck in a situation that uh, is difficult, one that we've never chosen, you know, a lot of times the situations we find ourselves in, we don't choose to be in that situation. It can turn something very negative into something very good because a delay holds the potential of being an intentional spiritual exercise, whether we planned on it or not. Whether we thought uh, God is involved in this or not, that waiting can, be, can have spiritual impact into our lives. It comes with a purpose sometimes, a God-ordained wait. Bible authors learn from their experience, just like we do, that, that even when we don't understand why we're waiting on something, we can learn how to wait. We can celebrate who it is we're waiting for. Because waiting for for any Christ follower can turn into something precious to remind us that God is in on the timing. The prophet Jeremiah wrote uh, it it really, really uh, well like this. He said, to wait quietly for the Lord's salvation. And he wrote that. And if you want to read a depressing book, read the book Jeremiah. You know, I mean, I I want you to read the book Jeremiah. I don't want to discourage you from that, but it can be a very depressing book. But at the end, he writes to wait quietly on the Lord's salvation. I appreciate that the prophet, uh, prophet didn't say, man, it's really, 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 really easy to wait on the Lord. No, no, he laments about it over and over. But to wait quietly. Because even the guys from the Bible got tired of waiting on God. Because they're humans like us. I mean, Job cries out, if I only knew why, he says. Well, why did this happen in my life? Why did that happen in my life? Does anyone, I mean, we could all raise our hands. We've all asked that question. Why did this particular thing happen in my life? If I only knew why. David writes in Psalms 143, and I'm going to 
flip there. He says in verse uh, six I me- or five, I meditate on all your works and consider what you what your hands have done. I spread out my hands to you. I thirst for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, Lord. My spirit fails. You know, we laud David as a man after God's own heart, and a, a man that, who, who struggled a lot. He wrote this when he was king. He had everything at his fingertips, anything he wanted. All he had to do was go out there and say it. Yet he's sitting there, sitting, sitting there saying, Answer me quickly, Lord, my spirit fails. Hmm. I love that. I love that King David is just like us. The rich and the poor, the powerful and the weak, we all have things. And this is one of those things that levels us all out. We all have to wait. It's a good thing. It can be a healthy thing. It can be a humbling thing. Not being able to get what we demand. Oh, my son, he demands everything. I mean, this increases our faith. It builds our character with words like uh, perseverance, long-suffering faith. But having said that, it still doesn't make it easier, does it? Most of us would say that uh, if God would just explain it to me, you know, like Jeremiah says, if he would just tell me why I'm waiting or tell me the situation or what he's waiting for, it would make it so much easier. I mean, if I knew the timing, then I could give some suggestions to God, you know. But it also seems that waiting would be easier if the waiting room had better magazines, you know what I'm saying? But then again, I have, a, I have a smartphone on me, and I got everything at my fingertips, and yet I can't stand to wait. It's more comfortable. It's more fun if we have distractions, taking our minds off of why we're there and, or why we're not there yet, either one. The phrase reminds me, uh, last Sunday I kind of mentioned it, uh, the summer vacations and, you know, are we there yet? And my dad's answer was always 20 minutes. It didn't matter for six hours or six minutes. The answer was always 20 minutes. And I will continue that with my son. He will love it. And we would sit in the back of the station wagon, all, you know, stare at all the trucks on the freeway. My dad's up there in the front seat. He's got a whole seat to himself or half a seat and the air conditioner's blowing in his face. The AC's going. He's got his AM radio. He's happy as can be. My mom's job on those trips was one thing, to keep us occupied. Four boys in the back of the station wagon. Keep us occupied. I, I don't know how she did it because it's hard to do it with one, much less two uh, today, you know. So my mom, uh, one year she bought us these, uh, you know, this gum. You, you remember the gum? It uh, individually wrapped pieces are like a three-quarter inch by three-quarter inch, and they're hard as can be until you start chewing them. I forgot the brand. Uh, and uh, what? Bazooka gum. There you go. And man, you know, my mom, she gave us the whole bag of gum, which was, was, was not smart to do. We had like four you know, four of them in our mouths all at once, and we're, we're blowing these huge bubbles. So I waited, and I waited, and I waited for my brother to blow a bubble. They had a really nice big one, and, and it was getting bigger and bigger. And then I waited to the right time, and I stuck my finger right in the middle of it, and that thing popped. And when bubbles pop, they go like this, all over his glasses, literally into his ears. I mean, it was a big bubble. It was, it was a great bubble. 
Oh, man, we had to pull. I got in trouble. Yes, I got in trouble. Uh, we had to pull over and buy some baby oil at the local Piggly Wiggly uh, shopping market and to get the gum out. I mean, we were bored, and my back end was red after that. But anyway, we were tired of waiting, and my dear mom would try to keep us distracted. When we got old enough, my dad would let us drive, and he would lay down in the back seat and go to sleep. Okay? Um, He never let my brother drive, which was good. He kind of lacked some common sense. He, He... tore off the back axle of one car that he owned, flipped the UPS truck not once but twice, and they let him keep the job because they determined it wasn't his fault either time. I don't know. But on one trip, my dad, uh, he got in the back seat right after I got my license, and, and we had like four hours left to get to, to Holbert, Oklahoma. And, and, and my dad, I mean, he drove 55 miles per hour. It's, this is back when it was still 55, you know. And when it said 55, you went 55. You didn't go 56. You didn't go 54, you put it on 55 on cruise and you went. So that four-hour drive with me driving took three hours. Um, I never got to drive again on vacation. I couldn't stand to wait. This is the thing about waiting. If we're not in control, I mean, we hate not being in control. And it seems like life is about being in charge of something, Right? We want to be in charge of all the little details. We usually like control because uh, we feel like if we can get things done, I mean, think about it, as a father, as a son, as a pastor, if there's something I can fix, I love it. If there's something I can't fix, I hate it. I can't stand waiting. There's nothing more humbling than the fact that, that we are left waiting, waiting on solutions that we cannot bring ourselves and allowing God to be in control. Last week, we, we discussed the phrase waiting or, or, or Christ in the chaos. And this week, is something a little more subdued, Christ in the waiting, Christ in the delays. Once again, we talk about the, the frenzy, the holiday season. Uh, you, know, you know, the holiday season has really become Advent's perfect enemy. And Advent is talk, talk you know, all, the word Advent means He is coming, Christ is coming. And, and the, the, the perfect enemy of that is being busy. It's a perfect storm. We got shopping, we have family events. Oh, we love family events. Attach, you know, and attach that to anxiety, attach that to depression, attach that to uh, you know, any other negative thing. And one of the things that threatened to, to mask God's well-timed promise, the promise of, I will come, I will be there right when I'm supposed to be there. You can plan on it. I am good for it. The enemy of that is the frenzy of the holiday. But ironically, the season that marks the arrival of the Prince of Peace is often the the least peaceful time of the year. It's the busiest time of the year. I mean, we were looking at our schedules, and and we just got told last week that, oh, by the way, next Tuesday, your son has a program on Tuesday night at the school. What? You were supposed to give that information to me in September so I could put it on my calendar. December gets busy. Come on. Now, many of us have come to church to hear this, so I want you to listen. 
Christmas doesn't have to be this way for you. It doesn't have to be the craziness that you think and you've gotten used to. Christmas is a decision. It's a, you know, the season can become peaceful for you if you make the decision. It can be hopeful. It can be a wonderful time of the year. The waiting on God where we slow our pace down and he brings grace. Look at your next seven days in your, your iPhone calendar or your phone calendar or uh, for people that have paper calendars, your paper calendar, you know, whatever it is, for the next seven days and cancel something. It will actually feel good. Do some intentional waiting. Do a forced waiting. Let me give you a hint. For those that have smartphones, you can download Advent stuff. You can, I mean, it'll give you scripture, you know, right into your phone about Christ is coming, or books. You can pick up a book, or, or phrases, or songs. There's so much out there. So when you're in the line of Starbucks, and the lady in front of you can't decide on what she drinks, even though she goes there every day, three times a day, instead of being impatient, go, oh yeah, I need to look at my Advent stuff. Let me look at some scripture about waiting, about Christ coming and and the earth waiting on Christ to come. Or if you're in the car, turn off the news, turn off the, 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 the music out there, but put a CD in about Christmas or play the Pandora Christmas station or something, but not just the secular music. Go with some Christian Christmas music. It'll be worth it. We call it Advent waiting. It replaces angry waiting. It's like the sense of expectancy that God has come. Because God wants us to slow down. He wants us to catch up with Him. You can alert your own senses to start looking for Jesus several times a day. You can see Him in the people. You can see them in the shops. You can see them in, in so many different things. When you're getting ready in the morning, you look in the mirror, you can say, self, look for Jesus today. Look for Jesus today. So important. What you're doing is you're giving yourself some margin to, to pay attention to Christmas. Pay attention to what's around you. The lights do mean something. It's the light of Christ coming to this world. All our decorations are great. You know, I love that Joshua's son, you know, the whole idea of Christmas, he sees the lights. That's a great thing. Joshua can, you know, and he does this already and teaches them about God and, you know, at their age, for their age group. I mean, I love the idea. We we got this, um, we like to collect manger scenes and stuff. And yes, I understand that the three wise men and and the stuff weren't there in the original manger scene. Yes, that is biblically incorrect. But every manger scene you get it, even if you go to Israel, it'll come with that, okay? But I love the fact we have a toy one, and we let our little boy, he just, he, he goes over and picks one up and brings it over and puts it on my leg, and he goes over and gets a, you know, a donkey or a sheep and comes over and puts it on. We let him play with it. We want him seeing that because we want to teach him what it's about. God is all around us in this season. He's there. All we have to do is look for him. He is Advent. He is Advent. Even though we can't see him, kind of like Mary. I mean, he was with Mary for nine months in her belly. But she couldn't see him. She could feel him. We can feel God through the Holy Spirit in our own lives. 
You know, I was thinking about the word advent, the word expecting. As men, we don't quite get that word uh, as much. We need to listen to the women around us, especially those that have had children, to the whole idea of expecting. How frustrating it is for those who want children. As time goes by, expecting to have a child, but then it happens, and children grow so quickly. I mean, I got a great picture I put up on Facebook of Grayson uh, waiting for his breakfast. His arm is, is, is over the chair, or his arms over the chair, his legs up on the table, and he's just laid back, his tongue is out, you know, he's just sitting there at the table just like a man waiting, you know, you know. They grow so quickly. Women who are, you know, who are pregnant, they, you know, they're expecting for nine months, and there's a due date, and that due date's a lie, because God knows when that baby's going to come, Right? See, that's the beautiful thing about, uh, about Christmas. It's God's work. The angels sing, the shepherds watch, wise men come, and Herod rages as we talked about. But God is in charge. The Apostle Paul wrote about this uh, you know, in his letters. And you're, you've been probably waiting on me to finally get to some scripture here. I understand that. But uh, uh, you know, Paul wrote to the Galatians, and that's a church in, in modern-day Turkey. And in chapter 4, he writes the phrase, But when the time has fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman. I love the phrase, fully come. Other translations, uh, I like it even better. It says, in the fullness of time. The fullness of time. So when something doesn't come together this week, just say, well, it wasn't the fullness of time. It wasn't God-ordained time yet. Maybe God didn't want me there. Maybe, God, maybe, there's, I mean, maybe that would be great for me, yet God doesn't want that for me. Have you ever, you know, something that's really good for you, and, and people are like, no, no, you, you know, that, that's not for you right now. Sometimes God does that. So we wait on God. Now, when we're new to faith, waiting on God, you know, and His timing can be very frustrating. But hopefully as we mature, hopefully as we become, uh, uh, you know, uh, become beautiful in God's sight and that maturity starts to take over us, to have a God who acts like a God is a great thing. One that continually refuses to set the timing based on what we want. God only does things when the time is Right? He does things in what's called the fullness of time. This is usually when, you know, why we're waiting, by the way. It's not yet the fullness of time. But someone else isn't ready yet. Maybe you're ready and God has you waiting in the wings because he's got to place other people at the right place at the right time so that can happen. And we've talked about that over and over about, uh, about our, uh, our adoption with Grayson. You know, and, the, and uh, you know, we didn't even know and, and the right timing and the, and the place and in a restaurant of all places. And, and God's like, I got to put all the pieces together for the right time. The fullness of time. It's a 3D puzzle that God is working on, really. And then, boom, Christ is in Bethlehem. He moved all of Roman society around because Rome needed a count of all the people to get Christ in the right place, in the right town that he said Christ was going to be born in. And it wouldn't have happened unless he 
ordained it. In Isaiah, Isaiah 40, it says, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired, he will not grow weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and the young men stumble and, and fail. But those whose hope is in the Lord will renew their strength. See, this is why the devil does not want us to wait on God. He does not want us to be renewed. He wants to keep us tired. He wants to keep us discouraged. And he wants to keep us upset. It goes on and says, They will soar on wings like eagles, and they will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. And then he says in chapter 41, Be silent before me, you islands. Let the nations renew their strength. See, Isaiah is one of those guys in the Bible that was forced to wait. And in fact, if you looked at Isaiah's ministry of 55 years, you would say, well, he's a failure. All 55 years, his, his 55 years of ministry was all about trying to get Israel straightened out. And guess what? Israel never got straightened out. You would look at it and say, well, that was a failure. Yet God had him there for a reason. Other than Jesus, who's your favorite Bible hero? Think about that for a second. Other than Jesus, who's your you know, favorite Bible hero? Mine is Boaz. I love Boaz. It's kind of an obscure Bible character, but he had to wait. He had to wait. Your Bible hero most likely had to wait. One of the, uh, you know, one of the reasons they're your favorite is somehow they flipped it. They went from being a loser are not being able to do things, to coming to know God and being a winner, for, for lack of a better term. But whatever they had to wait on, God flipped it. But they had to participate. And this is what some of us forget. They were frustrated at the beginning, but they learned it was not a waste of time. God is training you for something. God is training you for something. The right timing. And for some of us, it's a huge deal. God trains us and trains us and trains us for years, and then the right timing comes. And for some of us, God trains us and He wants us to do something. God trains us and He wants us to do something. God trains, you know, a little more, a little more, a little more. I can't tell you which one is which for you. We need to be talking to each other about what God is doing in our lives. We need to be talking to each other about the times that God has made us wait because it would encourage one another. And to be okay with that because God lines things up perfectly, especially when we allow Him to do it. And the part is allowing Him to do it. The very first prophecy about Christ's coming was in Genesis 3, the first book of the Bible. The prophecy comes from God Himself. And, and here's the backstory: the serpent... Um, had just successfully participated in the downfall of Adam and Eve, the first sin of the world, and God is not happy whatsoever. God says, my son will come and he will strike his heel on the serpent. He will crush his head. 
how many years was that before Christ came? That was a long wait. We're still waiting on some of that to happen from that first prophecy. Even the birth of Christ didn't happen for centuries. And then there was the 400 years between the Old Testament and then the New Testament, the book of Malachi and the book of Matthew. And, and Malachi finishes his book and he says, Surely the day is coming, coming, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. He ends that in the last chapter of Malachi, and then we flip over and we begin reading Matthew, and we think, oh, the story continues. No, there was a 400 year of, of blackness to, to say, I mean, of God not talking to the people. So no wonder Jesus surprised everyone. They'd given up on him. So they had to go through this 400 year wait, and our four minutes of waiting seems like 400 years sometimes. And we're all shocked. How can it not be like in the Bible days? Oh, wait a second. Let's talk about the Bible days. See, God ordains the waiting. And he does it because he knows that we will have questions. And it strengthens our faith. So we need to stop pretending that it's not hard. Because at some point, all humans start to doubt. Is God gone? Did he die? Why is God not talking? Think about that 400 years between the Old Testament and New Testament. God was very, very active in Israel's life, and all of a sudden, he shut up? Is God even around? And for our lives, it's like, was he ever really speaking to me? Has he forgotten about me? Did he ever really care about me? Will he ever come? Why am I even in church? Should I put my faith, you know, somewhere else? Is there a short-term waiting program that I can get, you know, involved in? Am I being foolish and trusting God? See, you need to understand this. This is why we gather. This is why we are here. So that some of us can be encouraged during those times of waiting for God's action in our lives. To look at each other and go, man, they they went through a tough time, but look how the Lord got them through it. And if God can get them through it, surely he can get me through it because I'm much better than they are. Okay, we don't say that out loud, but that's what we think sometimes. You know what I'm saying? God can speak to those that are discouraged. So I want to say, hang in there. Don't give up. And for us to tell each other, let me tell you a story. God is present. Let me tell you how he affected my life. Wait on him. This is what we're here for, to support one another, to allow people to enter into our lives. Eight days after the birth of Christ in Luke 2, Mary and Joseph get to do something they didn't see coming. They got to take little baby Jesus, which they thought they were going to have little Jesus in Nazareth which was a lot, you know, a lot further away from the temple than Bethlehem. But they're in Bethlehem, and their baby is born. And the ultimate thing, because, you know, in eight days after your baby is born, you would take your, you know, for a good Jewish family, they would, you would take uh, the baby. If you could go to temple, you would go to temple to dedicate your baby. If, if it wasn't temple, then you would go to uh, the closest synagogue. So on the eighth day, they take little baby Jesus on a six-mile journey. And this is when you would name the baby. And, and what's really cool 
is that uh, you would actually give money to the temple. You would, you would give your baby to the priest there to dedicate. And basically, you were giving your baby away in the, in the Jewish tradition. And then you would turn around and pay money and buy back your baby. And God would say, okay, I own them, but you're going to take care of them. That's kind of the whole thought of the Jewish going to the temple and naming the baby in eight days. So Mary and Joseph say, hey, let's go to the temple. And, you know, six miles from, from Bethlehem to the temple. And this is one of the most awesome buildings in the world at the time. And they're going to dedicate their child to God. They're going to name him. It's a really cool thing. So there they are, country kids walking to the temple. And this really cool old guy, and this is the picture I have up on the screen, is, is Simeon. He's an old priest. He's a devout priest, it says. You know, he takes Jesus. He just literally walks up and takes Jesus in his arms. And I guess they knew he was a priest or something because they trusted Simeon. They trusted this older man. Uh, maybe it's the Holy Spirit, you know, told him. But he takes Jesus in his arms. And in Luke 29, he says, Sovereign Lord. As you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. In other words, I can die now. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Wow. Then later on, as an adult, Jesus says to his students in Matthew 13, he says, but blessed are, the, are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For, for truly I tell you, m- many prophets and righteous people long to see what you, uh, what you see, but did not see it, and hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Advent calls us to wait on Jesus, to watch for Jesus. To listen for Jesus. Are we waiting on Jesus? Or are we watching for Jesus? And are we listening for Jesus during the season? That's the question. For his coming now into our lives and also for the second coming. It was a surprise for so many. 400 years God didn't speak. And then Jesus came. We wait on Him by reminding ourselves the best things in our lives come after waiting. Do your inventory. Think about all the great things in your life. Did they come easy or did you have to wait on them? I'll tell you, I dated my wife for three and a half years. Best three and a half years. Got a great wife out of it. Nothing that is valuable ever appears instantly never appears right when we want it. See, many of our regrets in this life are, are rushing toward things that gratify us right in the moment. And praise the Lord, we can ask for forgiveness of those things, and the Lord forgives us for those things because He's such a loving God. But I want to say, don't force the process. Wait on the Lord. It's His timing in the fullness of time. It's the best timing. So whatever you're waiting on in your life at this point, pray to God, seek the Lord, and then wait for the fullness of time. Don't rush it. Don't.
Because when we rush things, we usually screw them up, don't we? Oh, man. We do. And God has to come in and clean it up, and He does sometimes. But I say, wait on the Lord. Because when, you know, all the ones that uh, waited on the Lord, God showed them favor. And we all want favor, don't we? Oh, man. It's a great thing when God shows us favor. Not only the feeling, but, but the you know, feeling like, man, things are coming together, but, but just the feeling and the connectedness between you and God, His favor. Don't rush things. Wait on the Lord. And then when He shows us, you know, it's funny, I was talking to uh, Esarn uh, the night before we were uh, doing the, uh, oh, what do you call it, the rehearsal. And all the guys were up here, and her husband was up here, or her future husband was up here, and, and we were walking down the aisle, and, and uh, you know, I was sending in for Paul because Paul wasn't here, and, and she was like rushing down the aisle, and I said, well, you can slow down a bit, you know. It's good that you're rushing towards your, your future husband, but slow down a little bit and enjoy the moment as you're coming down the aisle, because God has shown you favor, because he's found you a husband. God can show us favor. But don't rush it. Enjoy the moment when he does. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand as the worship team comes up and uh, dismisses us? Now, just so you know, I've instructed the worship team to like, go through like, the beginning of the song, and then he will say, you guys have a good day, and then they'll just keep going and playing. So uh, there's been some confusion. Half people rushing out, half not. So that's what the instructions are. So. So wait on him, okay? Um, yeah, I know, we hate waiting. Well, let's pray. Lord, we're, we're so thankful that you uh, chose to come down to this earth, that you did it in the fullness of time. Many generations went by waiting to see you. And I pray, Lord, that in our own lives, as we wait, as we wait for certain things, lab results or, or uh, for, for the light at the end of the tunnel or the situation to resolve itself, whatever it is, Lord, that we go to you during that time of waiting and we seek you. And that we not rush toward an answer that we want. And we wait and see if that's the answer that you want, Lord, because ultimately you're the one that should be in control. And I pray that we don't fight over that control too often, Lord. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you and during this season of peace. And may he bring peace to your life. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.